Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim, here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios. What's up, Lance? Oh, not too much. How are you today? I'm doing great. Great. We are joined in this episode by our new intern, Lulu. Lulu is a very smart and articulate young woman. Happy to have her on and happy to uh, welcome her back after diving deep into our emails, which can get kind of, how would you say... Uh, muddy muddy is good yeah. Icky, yeah icky sometimes but always appreciated like uh you know the in a sea of criticism that we get in our emails there are some really nice emails that come through um and so we just want to say thank you to all those with uh, the encouragement and everything and thank you to everyone who emails really right keep them coming yeah and thank you lulu for diving into the well that is our emails and coming out on the other side uh fully intact which is a bit of a challenge sometimes. Yes, yeah, so thank you to all our emailers. We really appreciate it. So this episode is Lulu reading some recent emails to us. Also, we wanted to invite you to check out our latest Crawl Space episodes, which were from our live show that we did with psychic Lori Bruno in at the Rockwell in uh, the Boston area last Sunday. So... We released all of this audio on the Crawl Space feed. Maybe some of it will end up on the Missing Maura Murray feed at some point, but for right now, all of it's over there. If you want to hear the whole thing, there's two episodes. Check it out. Also, just want to say, as far as criticism for having a psychic on, like, we get it. You, you know, say you can save your email. We, we heard it all the first time. There's no possible way you can be original in trying to make fun of us for using a psychic. And after experiencing what it was like to spend an hour and, and 45 minutes right next to Lori and hearing her speak and fielding the, the questions from the audience, it, it's, it's, it, you could have just taken the word psychic out of it. She's just an amazing human being. And I would have sat there and listened to her history, where you know her lineage um she worked for nasa for god's sake and that was even that was just like a blip yeah. in the conversation i thought right. that was going to be a huge uh a, a huge topic but it wasn't because she's so interesting 
And we talk about Maura Murray. So the, the Maura Murray talk kind of bookends the conversation with Lori. And it's about a two-hour conversation, but it kind of starts there and it kind of ends there. So check that out on the Crawl Space feed. Hope you like it. And uh, as for this episode, this is Emails with Lulu. So uh, please enjoy. So follow us on Twitter at Maura Murray Doc. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. Also, check us out at CrimeCon 2018. Nashville. Early May. You got to be there. We will be premiering a cut of our documentary that we've been working on for the better part of three, four years now. I guess when the official start date was, is a little bit fuzzy at this point, but we will be showing a cut from this documentary. It's going to be about 60, 65 minutes, followed by a Q&A after, and uh, we're proud of it. We, 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 we've been watching it and, and fine-tuning it. Yeah, we think it's really interesting, so we're really hoping that you guys like it as well. So check it out Friday night at CrimeCon, May 4th. Lulu, welcome to Missing Maura Murray. How are you today? I'm good. It's really great to be here. This is exciting. Thank you very much. As exciting as it is for you, I can't imagine um, saying that it's exciting to go through emails mm-hmm. about you know what we, uh, what we do. Um, it's super exciting for us to actually have somebody who's proactive. Yes. And... We we sent you a request. A couple days go by, and you don't ask. It was so refreshing to just get the information, just get the information, and not not have to uh, not have to do it ourselves. Well, it was fun for me. Good, glad to hear that. And uh, your work was great on the Israel Keys episodes. We want to say thanks, to, uh, thank you for that as well. What was that like digging into uh, him? And I know we assigned assigned you to watch a lot of his videos. Um, what was that like? It's weird, especially with him, because he's so calm about it. And you see, in his case, he doesn't have any feelings towards his victims, but he's not completely a psychopath because he still has these feelings about his daughter. I saw throughout a lot of his interviews, he has this really deep concern about his daughter and how his daughter is going to find out about his victims and what he's been up to for her entire life. So that was just really interesting because he's not just this one dimensional figure. He does have, and I don't want to humanize him because obviously what he's done is awful, but it was just interesting to see that he's done such horrible things, but he still has compassion for certain people in his life. That's a really interesting take because, I mean, we can agree. You said that he wasn't completely a psychopath, so we can we can agree he was he was a psychopath. So maybe that compassion isn't really uh, compassion for his daughter as a human, but maybe it's more for a legacy that he is trying exactly. to uphold and that goes right. into ego perhaps. Right. That definitely, he does have some selfish motives that yeah, it couldn't have, it could have been not wanting to protect his daughter and her feelings, but wanting to shield her from having this bad image of him because that's detrimental to his legacy. If his own daughter thinks of him in this certain way. Well, we do appreciate you digging into that as your first official request of ours, which I, I guess if you can make it past that, then, then you've got uh, right. a, a pretty, it wasn't too bad, pretty honestly. stiff backbone. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, that was great. And then what about pulling the emails and going through our email inbox? What was that like? It, that was interesting because you see how invested people are in this story, and there is like such a desire for people to get the truth about this story and just different people's 
takes on it. Like some people want to know if this is like, well, you'll see in the emails later on, like some people want to know if it's like a government conspiracy and some people have concerns about the timeline and some people have concerns about more herself and her well-being. So that was really interesting to see all these different people's takes on the case. Okay, so let's get into these emails. Okay. Do you uh, mind reading uh, some of these for us? Yep. This first one is from Julie with no subject. She says, Hi, I'm on my second watching of the disappearance of Maura Murray. The very beginning says that Maura sent an email to her professors that there was a death in the family, and this was a lie. Maybe not. Maybe Maura knew there would be a death in the family, hers. I see suicide all through the documentary. I think the second car accident in a few days just solidified what was already her plan. I think that she ran a bit of a distance or farther than that. Isn't there a witness that thinks he saw her running? Drank and took sleeping pills, maybe deep in the woods. Okay, so uh, thank you, Julie, for the email, and thank you for reading that, Lulu. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, suicide as an outcome is something that has been talked about constantly since we started this podcast, you know, at least in on these airwaves and everything. Um, it, it was touched upon in great detail, I would say, also in the documentary. Um, however, Julie's reaction from watching the documentary is different from most people's. Julie, the emailer. Yes. Yes. I think that most people watch the documentary and say, oh, okay, well, she didn't commit suicide because the Murrays don't think that she did. And the search dogs and the search teams uh, searched like a, a really, uh, like a five-mile radius, like in great detail to where you there's pretty much no chance that she's in that area. I, I uh, appreciate the fact that we get to go back and have the opportunity to catch people up because, uh, you know, we're we're at a point where we're so deep into it and there are people that are just getting involved in all of this because of the TV show or they're just, you know, finding out about the case. So it's really fortunate that we have the opportunity to answer these questions. Suicide was one of the big fa- was one of the big uh, theories that was out there. And I think for the most part, I'd say 95 percent um, you should rule out suicide for the reasons you mentioned and also. On the show, you have the uh, the New Hampshire um, uh, Todd Fort- Bogardis, yeah, from Fish and Game, Fish and Game. That's the that's the organization I was trying to think remember. He the the found statistic for people who are in the woods in that area is astronomical. Um, Moore Murray is one of two, I think, that he said have have not been found. Yeah. Um, so so just with statistics on the Fish and Game end. That's well, okay, but you're talking about the area that was searched. I'm not sure if she's saying that she got out of this area because she says a bit of a distance or farther than or farther than that. Um, so, but, you know, and, and then she mentions the witness sighting, which is, as far as I know, a little further than the than the, than the parameter that they searched. Yeah, yeah, at least in great detail. Yeah, you have to think about all the people in the. In the in the weeks, the days and weeks and months, and even Fred going up there at this point, um, he used to go up there a couple times a year. He still goes up there once a year uh, or more, mm-hmm. and and does. Uh, I mean, in the beginning, he was doing. He was going through in the woods. Him like, and Rick Graves. Him and Rick Graves, and as, you know, right right during the disappearance and the days after, it was both families, the Rouches, the Murrays, everybody was in there, and to this day, we get emails. 
from people who said, oh, I found this weird thing in the woods. You know, we, mm-hmm. we found this thing that was sort of looked like it was buried and it looks like a, you know, an article of clothing. Yeah. So if, if nothing has been found of her in the woods, I'd say we're at that like 95 to 100 percent chance that she did not commit suicide in the woods. This next one is from Sarah. The subject is 001 police SUV. Has anyone suggested that maybe the SUV that the psychic kept seeing was the police SUV that witnesses A saw? The psychic kept saying it was dark with white on it. She only said maroon after the red truck was mentioned. And when I Google images of the police SUVs in that area, they are those colors. I'm not really a believer of psychics, but just maybe the driver of that police SUV had something to do with her disappearance. Yeah, this is this is another um, a common question we get. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for reading it, Lulu. So the psychic kept saying a dark and white SUV, and I, uh, Tim here, um, put red or, or maroon or something in in her head. Basically, I, I mentioned it was it red <laughs> or something like that, like a, like a big idiot. And so, really, only then did it start to kind of blur for her. So <laughs> I apologize about that. Um, but yes, yeah, she. she Sarah is right that the SUVs in that area are black and white. Um, Obviously, the SUV being the person who took Mora has been something we've talked about constantly in the past two years. But at this point, it seems like it's not what happened to Mora. As a matter of fact, we will be having a a conversation at some point, probably the next episode, uh, we're not sure yet, about Art Roderick's timeline, which um, details out to the best of anyone's ability in law enforcement what was going on uh, with the SUV, with the time frame, with Witness A's sighting, and the um, all corresponding with the... um, dispatch logs so he's got a he's got a relatively detailed breakdown of that you know hour or so window um but it that question is still out there that question is still lingering it's an uncomfortable topic because you're talking about a police conspiracy in a town that has you know a handful of police officers at this time and you know even less back then This next one is from Leah. She says, I am a nurse and have some experience dealing with psychiatric illness. Mora was allegedly bulimic. She was displaying a pattern of reckless behavior. She was a textbook case for a pending psychiatric break. Most psychiatric breaks occur in young adults when they are under immense pressure. She was under pressure constantly academically, athletically, and within her family relationships. Her father was hard on her. Her sister, Julie, apparently was very hard on her. And bulimia is a disease of control. Eating disorders often develop as a means of gaining control over one aspect of one's life. Sometimes they feel that this is the only thing they can directly control. I also don't understand why Mora's mother is never spoken of. I know she passed away a few years after Mora disappeared, but she was certainly present and active in this whole situation while it was happening. 
Yet the story is always presented without much mention of her place in all of this. Okay, thank you, Lulu, and thank you, Leah, for the email. A um, couple of things. Maura's mom is seldom mentioned in in the story, as she says, like as it's presented, um, because they're, I, I don't know, I guess. I mean, well, it's, it, a, it's a family thing. It's, you know, if they wanted to talk about her more, they would probably talk about her more as far as like the community looking into it. Well, she got sick. She got sick. And yeah. so she wasn't really so much part of the search or the investigation. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's not like she wasn't active in their lives. She was. Um, and you can listen back to our Remembering Mora episode and you can hear some stories about her. So she was ac- completely active in their lives, um, just not so much in the parts that we cover. And the bulimia thing, um, well, first of all, she says that her father was hard on her and her sister Julie was apparently very hard on her. I don't think that's I don't substantiated in right. any way. Uh, the, the key word here is allegedly. Yeah. Um, it's never been uh, accurately proven or whatever that Mora was bulimic. There's never been a diagnosis out there that says that she was bulimic. There have been stories and rumors and speculation on it. So keep that in mind. You know, she, uh, Leah uses the word allegedly, and that was responsible of her. That was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also. But she doesn't use allegedly when she says her father was hard, hard on her. And that's her exactly what I was about was, to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know that Fred, through Julie's account and Fred's own account, was that he did push his kids. He pushed his daughter. Uh, both of his daughters, all all three of his daughters, uh, Julian and Mora were uh, were competitors uh, on uh, the track team. They were competitors with every with basketball. And again, if you go back and listen to the episode, the remembrance of Mora, um, Julie talks about how Mora would let her win on occasion, and it was a healthy competition. And I know that there has been certain things that have been put out there, like I can't believe Fred would make them run on Christmas morning. He wasn't making these people. He wasn't making these yeah. girls run. He, yeah, he's responded to that. He said they wanted to run. They, I, I did things that they wanted to do with them. Right, and they they hiked and they pushed themselves, and that's uh, you know he could have been hard on them. He could have been a tough father, but if you look at what Julie's become, I mean, I would say that that's pretty decent parenting. I don't know if Julie would agree either with with um, that. So yeah, I mean, just right. not to not to focus a hundred percent on on those two sentences, but. Um, Possibly not true. So, right. so yeah. So I don't know where that leaves us, um, but we appreciate the uh, the professionalism um, from Leah about uh, bulimia and and things like that. And it is something that's been talked about. We just uh, don't really know. Right, and and the knowledge that comes with um, you know Leah's uh, description of how bulimic people behave is pretty spot on. But again, you have to go back to it being. Um, it's speculation. Yeah, it's speculation. And not all bulimic people want to drive away and, you know, right. kill themselves or, you know, sometimes they just want to get away. Mm-hmm. Okay. This next one is from Courtney. Courtney says, first, can you please confirm what happened to the alcohol that Maura bought on her trip to the White Mountains? Was it in her car? What alcohol was there in her car? Secondly, in regards to the party she went to before she crashed her father's car, do you think that it's possible that Mora had some kind of breakdown at the party in front of her friends? And that's why her friends said that she had told Fred what happened, but wasn't going to share with anyone else. This could explain why in the first couple of days after she went missing, Fred told the police that he believed his daughter went to the White Mountains to harm herself. Just a theory. 
Also, when you spoke to the psychic, she mentioned seeing Mora get into a dark SUV. Could this tie into Witness A's testimony of seeing car 001 pulled up nose to nose with Mora's car? She also mentions an eagle. Do any local police departments have an eagle in their crest? So Courtney has a lot of questions. Good to questions. Go Thank you, Lulu. Good questions, Courtney. We appreciate the email. A lot to unpack here. I like all the mentions of uh, the psychic um, because we're doing that live <laughs> show actually with the psychic uh, in about uh, 10 days from now. The psychic she's talking about is Lori Bruno, who is a friend of ours. Um, we can't answer what alcohol was bought on her trip, right? I can't answer with any sort of definitive, um, you know, confidence that that it was uh, a certain um, alcohol. We, we we know that there was the the like the uh, wine the wine, coolers. wine coolers or you know like a Seagrams or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we know that there was a Franzia box of wine that yep. was found in the car. But aside from that, I mean, that is just that that is one of those like. Areas of speculation. That it's weird. Because we know she stopped at a liquor store. Also, also it's evidence. Right. We're pretty sure she, we know what she bought there, but then some of it isn't reported to be in the car. So, yeah, it, it's very gray. It's very fuzzy to us even still. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about this email that I thought was interesting, um, she mentions the party the night that she crashed Fred's car. She says, do you think it was possible Maura had some kind of breakdown at the party in front of her friends? Th- that is not what we know to be true. It doesn't seem like there was a breakdown, uh, but I agree some of her actions after the accident seem emotional. Could be because this was signifying the end of her relationship with Bill, and then she gets into this car accident. So obviously, either way, whatever we're talking about, whatever part of what I just said is true, there's a ton of stress on her that night. Right, and to go back to Art Roderick again, if we do know the answers to these things, does it... Does it bring us any closer to finding out what happened to her? I'm not saying it does or it doesn't, but when you ask these questions, and these are awesome questions, when you ask them, just keep that in the back of your mind. Is this important? Does it have anything to do with uh, how we're going to find her? Um, I think the alcohol in the car is is a good question. It's an excellent question because it suggests, is she buying alcohol to that would that would look like she's going to meet two or three more people? Is she buying a massive amount of alcohol or is she buying a six-pack? And also, we talked to one private investigator who worked on the case who had something really interesting to say about the alcohol. He says, you know, that a certain alcohol was bought in Amherst and it wasn't in her car. So this person suggested that maybe she stopped at a party and maybe that uh, or at a house or something, dropped something off and then went back on the road for whatever reason. I just thought that was interesting. Right. Not saying that's true. I have no idea. But maybe that would account for some of that missing time and maybe that would account for why some of those bottles aren't there. And who did she meet? Yeah, exactly. We the don't missing know. alcohol, the missing time, and who did she meet? So, yeah, now that is a that's a solid question. Mm. Um, and, and at first, I I was thinking like I wrote down the word nope after I heard that question <laughs> because I I didn't think that we would be able to answer that. But leading into could this be a way that we figure out what happened to Mora? Absolutely. This next one is one of my favorite emails that I saw. This is from Trent Gilliam, and Trent says, 
what if Maura Murray disappeared on purpose with the help of the government to work undercover? What if her stealing from Fort Knox was a total setup? Everybody said it was unlike her to steal. So what if high-ranking officials scouted her out at West Point, offered her a job, and started the process of making her disappear to change her identity for undercover work? Thank you, Trent, and thanks, Lulu, for reading that one. Uh, Again, another one we've gotten a lot over the years and something we've even considered and, and talked to some people about. We do talk to our buddy Bob in episode in the episode titled West Point. We asked him about this because he went to West Point and we said we we kind of laid out the scenario to him and said if a person was recruited to for a position like this would they leave their car in a mysterious way and things like that and he's like no the person would just go to the airport and that's it. So I mean you can listen to that for a more uh, specific answer but I think the this question uh kind of gets laughed off by the uh, professionals right yeah i it's a really fun scenario to think of and it'd be it'd be awesome if it was true but like you said look at the circumstances of the of the uh, disappearance itself um if you're being recruited to do undercover work you're not gonna you're not gonna leave uh an area and you're not gonna leave a situation like that where you've just like put attention on yourself right you're just gonna slip away This next one's from Phoenix. Phoenix says, My personal theory is sudden psychosis. Full-blown psychosis can set in in just six hours, and there are often warning signs weeks or months in advance, such as depression, impulsive or unsafe decisions, general change in affect or demeanor, etc. Something that isn't well understood about psychosis is that the delusions often exist within a brain that is functioning totally normally. Mora is set up for psychosis, possibly by an underlying genetic vulnerability, a brain tumor, etc. I like the brain tumor idea because it, it can affect motor skills and symptoms that can be badly exacerbated by drinking. Thanks. Thanks, Phoenix, for um, that email and also putting it in my head that I have a brain tumor and I'm going <laughs> to, in six hours, I'm going to fall into total psychosis. So Phoenix is a professional, um, works with uh, family-based uh, children, youth, and families for uh, wellness. So I, th- I think it's interesting that, that this comes from a professional. Other than that, I mean, I don't know. We obviously can't comment if, if Maura had a brain tumor or anything like that. I would just say it's super unlikely. This one is from Brianna Smith. She says... During the accident, would both airbags go off if Mora was the only one in the car? I know in my current car and past cars, the airbag off light comes on when no one is in the passenger seat. I know it was an older car, but just a thought. Good question, Brianna. Thank you for reading it, Lulu. And uh, this is also a question that we get pretty frequently. I would say like one out of every 15 emails in the inbox is sure. about this, maybe 20. Um, but... Uh, we did look into this, and Maura's car was in 1996. It was technically before the mandate was put in. That is what Brianna is describing. That there's a light, and it would flash, and and uh, you know if there's if there's weight in the passenger seat, then the airbag would go off. That all wasn't a thing in in this 1996 Saturn. So just because both airbags went off, it does not mean that anything was on the passenger seat. Well said. And again, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a 
question that we get all the time from those people who are just starting off in this case. Uh, you know, keep it coming. This next one's from Benjamin Duffy. He says, wait a second. So Kathleen Murray was in Mora's dorm at UMass, even though she didn't know that Mora was missing. What was she doing there? How did she get in? Okay, thanks, Benjamin. Interesting question. This is something we've heard, but uh, I, it's a little bit uh, tough to say either way. Um, again, I, I don't really think th th this is probably an email we got that we didn't reply to because we don't have anything to tell this person. I don't know. If Kathleen was there and she spoke to law enforcement about it and law enforcement you know, considered her answer uh, a credible answer and it's not leading to anything that would uh, find Mora then, you know, that information probably isn't just going to be put out there publicly. Um, but it is, it it very well could be something that the answer's out there. It's just been lost in the, in the you know, the crock pot of information that we've got going on. Also, I'm sure Kathleen knows, uh, so it would be great to uh, to talk to her about it at some point. Um, but maybe we'll, uh, we'll ask her at some point uh, to uh, come on the podcast. This one is from Kiera, and she says... You guys have talked about there being a time where the podcast may end, and I see they haven't. Did you think when you started this podcast that this mystery would be solved by now? Good question, Kira. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think I can answer that question because I. I don't think that I. Th necessarily thought it would be solved by now well like, when we started i definitely didn't think that it would be solved because it didn't seem like it was solvable it's it didn't seem real it also honest. wasn't the goal the original goal or intention of our podcast right it was you know to solve it it, it has since become uh you know the, the goal of, of this podcast has sort of changed uh, a lot throughout the years that we've been doing it and so now it's more about keeping the conversation going but Will the podcast end? And we've mentioned a time that the podcast may end. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it'll end at some point. It'll 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 when. end when we don't have anything else to talk about. Um, I can answer right now that yeah, I do think that this mystery will be solved. Oh yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and if it is solved, then you're in for at least another four or five years of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Corinna Lee says. In regards to the money that Fred Murray withdrew the day Mora went missing, do you know if the money was ever accounted for? What I mean by that is, was the money found to be on Fred or was the money gone when it was asked about? Thank you, Corinna, for the question. Uh, th this is another one that, that's a common question. Uh, so Fred's answer is that he put the money into an account that she could access, Mora being she, could access using her social security number. And from what we've heard, that money was never touched. Now, now I don't think it was the full four thousand that he put in there. I think I, I recall it might have been like five hundred of that four thousand that he put in there. Yeah, I'm not sure what the actual figure was. I but... think it was that. And then when asked what you know what happened with the rest of the money, um, he said it's no no one's goddamn business what what I do with my money. And he's right. It's it is no one's goddamn business what uh, what Fred does with his money. He can put it in an account. He can put it in his pocket. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it. Um, but the facts are, what we heard is he took 500 out of that 4000 and put it into an account for more to access to which she never did. Right. There was never any activity on the account. And I don't know how long they kept it open. It was for a couple of years, right? I, I, if I'm not mistaken, it could even still be open. This next one is from Peter Rice. Peter says... One thing that came to mind after this episode, which began a lot of speculation, also just a note, he's talking about episode five, 
specifically the idea of her pulling off an incredible one in a million disappearing act is all the trouble she found herself in leading up to it. Was she ever fingerprinted, even if not criminally for any job? I just find it hard to believe with the events in the year leading up to her disappearance that she would be so squeaky clean for the last almost 14 years that she wouldn't have found herself in trouble again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah th- thank yeah. you, Peter. Yeah, that, that is what we talked about, I believe, on that episode. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I love the point of uh, that he makes right here at the end that if she was, and I think... I'm pretty I'm sure we made that me. point. Oh. <laughs> what was that? So like? that's why you love it. <laughs> it feels like it was like seven years ago. Yeah. Um, if she had been as as in trouble and as reckless as people made her out to be beforehand she just stopped all that activity in the past 14 years and and she's living a clean uh you know off the grid life yeah one thing we know about uh crime in doing what we do and especially looking into the brianna maitland case uh disappearance um is that criminals escalate usually with with their crimes so yeah if if it started as stealing makeup uh you know using a credit card number to order pizza it'll go to something more and something more and more so yes i think you the question or the uh, the answer i think is yes that she probably would have found herself in trouble again in the last 14 years if she was still out there um assuming that she was some master criminal who was you know escaping her life I, it would be ridiculous she abandoned her car her cell phone was never used no credit cards were used the bank account wasn't touched so that would mean that she had planned this for a long time and like uh, like certain serial killers, she had what a uh, like a stash that she kept. She knew she was going to disappear, and she dug up this stash of like a burner cell phone, a disappearance kit, a disappearance kit. It's uh, it's a great point to make. And was she ever fingerprinted? Uh, we don't know. No idea. Yeah, we know that the um, misconception out there with the the picture of her that we talked about that. That frightened Tim that time. Ah, don't remind me. I know, sorry. It's embarrassing. Uh, Episode three. Ep- <laughs> <laughs> it's emb- I like that. Ep- it's, yeah, embarrassing, it's embarrassing, but I'll, I'll plug the plug. episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we know that that's often been miscategorized as a mugshot. That was a, a picture that was taken outside of her dorm. It wasn't a mugshot. So if you're looking at that picture and you think, well, she got a mugshot, she was probably fingerprinted, That's it's not necessarily... Um, in uh, in in respect to each other, right? But I think the picture was taken by UMass Police, so that's why the confusion's there. It's exactly. like behind, it's like against like a cement wall. So she's not at she's not downtown getting booked at the station. She's just at like downstairs at her dorm, and she got like a ticket. This one is from Stephanie. She's a new listener. Stephanie says, "I'm bothered by the locked car. Did Mora lock her car before abandoning it, or did police lock it?" I feel if Mora were to flee the scene on foot, she wouldn't be concerned about locking her car doors. Makes more sense that she was picked up by someone she knew and locked her car doors with the intention of returning to the car. Thank you, Stephanie, for the email. Great, awesome. Great point. I mean, I think we agree that because the car was locked, so we've heard the car was locked, uh, presumably by Mora. Um, that, that is the report, that the car was locked when, when the police uh, approached it. Uh, so it was presumably by her, and yeah, I, I would agree that it seems like it was with the intention of returning to her car. It w- exactly, exactly. It it just there's really no speculation unless she had a uh, you know a compulsion to always lock her car. It does very much seem like she made the decision to walk away from her car or leave her car, and she locked it. That means that she 
was probably coming back or had plans to come back to the car. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean she didn't disappear because of this lock. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind, too. It, it's not like that good of a clue. If the, yeah, the alternative is if the car was found with the doors open and it's still running and the headlights on, then that suggests something a lot more sinister happened. Agreed. All right. The last question for today is from Travis. Travis asks, have they completely ruled out that maybe she wasn't the one driving the car? If there's a possibility of a 45 to an hour missing from her timeline, couldn't it be that maybe something or someone happened to her before the car made the trip? If Atwood was the only one who saw her after the crash and it was dark, and we all know how reliable eyewitnesses are, could it have been another 20-something girl, and when he was shown a picture of her, he was mistaken? Thanks, Travis, for the question. Uh, this is one we, we've talked about a little bit, too. I guess the answer is, uh, again, we don't really know. It, it's it's super unlikely that it wasn't Mora at the car. Um, we we kind of can say, as we said in the previous episode, that you can never know 100% that it was Mora at the car because she hasn't been found still. So there's no one out there who can say with 100% certainty that Mora Murray was in the car. Right. There is an element to this that you introduce when you say, was she not the one driving the car? That means someone else is driving the car. That means that there's someone else out there who hasn't come forward to say, I was driving the car and why. And that means that as far as we know, law enforcement found no other finger. Like if they had found other fingerprints or other evidence that somebody else was in the car, that, that would mean they didn't follow up with that. Or if they did, that person is where? doing what you know yeah we've never heard of it if that's the case right you're it's it's now injecting this whole other mystery but questioning it is awesome yeah questioning is awesome we can't say for sure it was mora but we can say like 99.9 percent that it was mora um yeah again if it wasn't mora then this person is out there and really that's based on no evidence so you can have fun with the theory but uh it, it we can't take it any further Every factor leading Mora to the location of her car indicated that it was her. With the searches online, with the map quest directions, you know, calling uh, bed and breakfasts and inns, um, taking up money from her bank account, and Butch identifying her after seeing her picture, uh, it, it does lead us you know, to that 99% chance that that was her. Okay, thank you, Lulu, for uh, for pulling these emails and reading them to us and uh, joining us on this episode. We really appreciate it. Of course. It. it was a lot of fun. That was a fast 40 minutes. That flew by, yeah. Yeah. We should do that more often. Definitely. There's so many questions out there that people still have and that I'm sure you guys still have. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.